are real. I'm your co-host Lamar, and this is Gary. Hi. So if you uh, are, are joining us from our previous uh, episodes, we already covered the Book of Abraham, its origins, and, and where some of the papyrus and, and papyri and, and uh, facsimiles came from. But we only covered facsimile one and two last time, and this time we're going to get in or, or one me, and three. One and three. One and yeah. three. Right, the square versions. This time we're going to get into the round one, known as facsimile two. And uh, yeah, we're, we, we're, I'm excited about this one. We didn't want to put in the other one because there's a lot going on in this one. There's some special things about this one, and I wanted to have enough time for Carrie to really flesh it out for us. Or round it out for us, since it is round. Okay, so Carrie, tell us about this. This is hypocephalus, uh, or, or, or facsimile number two, and some people call this the hypocephalus. So, give us a little background of what this uh, what this one's about, and I'm going to show it up on screen here real quick. All righty. Yeah. So uh, it, you're right when you call it a hypocephalus. So the the name comes from uh, the Greek word hupo, which means under. And cephalus, which means head, so it was designed to go under the head, and um, it was a, a document that was a standalone document. That's why we know this wasn't part of the scroll that um, that facsimile one and three were on. Plus, the name of this owner is on this one, and the name of the owner of the others are on the other ones, and and it's two different people um, from slightly different time periods. Most likely, we can't date this one quite as well as the other ones. Um, but the owner of this, we know it's separate because uh, these, <clears throat> excuse me, these were not designed to be uh, part of a scroll. They were designed to be just a big square. And this one is larger than the other ones uh, uh -huh. that was supposed to go under the head, sometimes maybe on top of the head. Uh, there are uh, a couple of examples of maybe three dimensional ones, but mostly they're a flat piece of papyrus that was designed to go under the head. And the idea was that it would uh, illuminate uh, so that it would give light to show you where to go. And then it possesses spells that uh, keep you safe and directions and, and uh, the images and drawings that give you power so that you, the directions tell you how to get where you need to go and the, and give the directions and the drawings give you power to be able to get where you want to go in the afterlife in the state you want to be in in the afterlife. Which is interesting because actually uh, there is an, an interesting tie in here. Um, there are some copies of the Book of Breathings, which is what facsimile one was uh, next to, and facsimile three was uh, probably also attached to a, this Book of Breathings um, that are related to some documents that also their their purposes, and they say they're designed to be put under the head. Some of the some copies of the Book of Breathings, not the same one that that we have. You know, let me let me just back up and explain this a little bit more, because I think this okay. is so interesting. We'll remind uh, our audience who listened to the episode on, on the um, Book of Abraham. And if you didn't, then I'll just give you a brief explanation here, but suggest you go listen to that, that the uh, papyrus that has the original facsimile one is a facsimile of that text on that papyrus was a copy of the Book of Breathings. Now, I suppose that elsewhere on that scroll was also the book of Abraham. It's possible it wasn't on any uh, book uh, or on the papyrus at all, but I think the book of Abraham was on that same scroll. I, I, we don't really know, and maybe it's not. Uh, some days, if you ask me, I'd tell you I think it's not, but right now I think it is. So um, in any case, uh, that's a copy of a book called the Book of Breathings, and there are a couple of different versions of the Book of Breathings. One of them is called the Book of Breathings made by Isis for her brother. That's the version that, that was on the papyrus that Joseph Smith owned. All right. And it's, it's the earliest known version of it at all. Um, now, that doesn't mean there weren't earlier versions. Maybe they just haven't survived. But it's certainly one of the earliest, if not the earliest. This is a kind of an innovative time period. There are a couple of other versions of the Book of Breathings that we creatively call Book of Breathings 1 and Book of Breathings 2. And, um, and sometimes those have directions that say they should be put under the head uh, for one of them and under the feet of the other so that they will illuminate and give the person the light to be able to see where to go and the spells that allow them to have the, the knowledge and the power to go where they want to go in the afterlife and be in the state they want to be in, which is exactly what the hypocephalus is. So that's really interesting because really, as far as I'm aware, and I'm not like uh, 
an expert on funerary papyri from this time period in the way some people are. I would say I'm an expert, but I'm not the hyper specialist that some people are. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, but as far as I'm aware of, those are the only three uh, documents that are designed to do that. And it's interesting that Joseph Smith does pair two of those kinds of documents, right? Uh, and he has no idea that they're all designed to do something somewhat similar, but they are, and he puts them together. So I find that interesting. Anyway, okay. so that's what this hypocephalus is. Maybe actually let me share a screen for just a second, and I'll show you some pictures yeah, yeah. Okay, of a couple of others. Okay, I'm going to sharing on my side. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll – um, I'm going to share a, a couple of pictures. And again, uh, for our listening audience, uh, that's not a viewing audience, then that's, that's fine. Um, uh, we'll just try and describe this for you. But you can see here is the, the hypocephalus or the facsimile too that, that Joseph Smith had. But here are some pictures that some friends of mine took um, in different museums of other hypocephali. Right, oh, so I've got some can... of those pictures too. So, okay, oh, great. sorry, you were going to show that. No, 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 no that's fine. No, 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 oh. no, it's fine. You're, There's you're the, the oh, I'm all right. A, uh, I'm I, just I a thought Google I had guy. more pictures. I only had two, um, but you can see they're, they're not uncommon. And some of them are much more similar to the one that Joseph Smith has. So maybe that's a, uh, maybe that's what you had. Um, I'll stop sharing. You can well, share some. No, more, this but... is, yeah, uh, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm nothing sophisticated here. I'm going to go to Wikipedia, right? Uh, so Wikipedia has a, a gallery of hypocephalus oh, yeah. here. So let me just go through a couple. Yeah, here. that this, one right there is fairly similar to the one Joseph Smith has. There are some obvious differences. Right. No. Well, yeah, let's get into those differences. Uh, that one's well, also fairly similar. Yeah, it's got the these same type of figures are very similar yeah. here. And then here's one that looks... Well, actually, so let me tell you what that one is. Okay. That is a drawing of... Uh, that someone made of the hypocephalus that Joseph Smith owned. Okay. And so uh, this is what's worth pointing out that you right. can see that there are some parts that they don't draw that are broken. Yeah. Um, right here. It looks like they're, they kind of shattered in like it's, it's been torn. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle there. Right here. Um, yeah. And, uh, and also along the edge. And, and we can tell that that's probably accurate because the parts that they show is broken are the parts where that's uh, the hieroglyphs at least aren't, they don't belong with the rest of this. The rest of this we can translate and it makes sense, but this stuff around the edge and on the very right-hand corner um, or the right-hand side and then going around the edge there, mm -hmm. uh, that's, um, that's basically gobbledygook and it's actually not even hieroglyphic script, it's hieratic. They're, they're just taking that from elsewhere on the papyri and and sticking it in there to make it look uh, symmetrically beautiful, right? Uh, they see. just want it to be appealing. So Joseph Smith, and in fact, we have uh, in Joseph Smith's journal, he says that he gave Reuben Headlock instructions on how to make this cut. And it seems the way he talks about it, he's giving him more detailed instructions than he does on the others. And my guess would be he's talking to him about how to reconstruct this since it's broken. Now, here's what's really interesting. You can see the figure that's on the top right hand corner what what figure would that be in our top, um, top right hand here you mean where this the where the broken part is yeah yeah so it's figure three in oh, oh, uh, the facsimiles yeah, yeah and the the head area of facsimile one or i mean figure one uh those are broken off uh in in the drawing that uh that you were showing us where it's it's kind of broken. right here so mm -hmm. yeah and um that's really interesting because what Joseph Smith has him restore fits perfectly. It's what it should be. Now, typically the figure that's there in the center is kind of foreheaded with two facing each direction rather than two headed with two spaces in facing each direction. Um, but it's drawn exactly the way you would kind of expect it other than maybe the number of heads. That's not something that anyone's going to make up because uh, I mean, why would you, you and I would never think, Oh, uh, the head's missing on that. Let's put in this other kind of head, but it's exactly the kind of head that we would expect. And the same thing with that uh, figure there, figure three is the kind of drawing that works naturally. there very, very well. So, so I don't you, know if it was right not right here. You're saying this broken. was not in his original one or we don't know. Yeah. Or... That seems to have been broken off according to this drawing and according yeah, to the right hieroglyphs that they restore. So this um, drawing right here, when would this drawing have been, have been contemporary to Joseph Smith, correct? Yeah, we believe so. Okay. So um, someone was, was drawing what they saw. And, and again, if you see the shaded area right here, it looks like someone is indicating there is a tear there. Right. 
and, and then the way missing. that they had to restore the glyphs it kind of confirms that that and those so are not original fills this part in yeah. and this is what the printing plate looks like here this would be made of lead um right. made by uh, george headlock right no reuben reuben headlock. Oh, i'm sorry reuben headlock yeah but that's brother that george like. appreciate that uh, <laughs> yeah let me give you a little so you see these screws here go right through yeah. the lead piece this lead piece would have been hand carved out in reverse yep to make it look or to to give us the stamp so this is the actual stamp that the, that it was done from that the that's right. was done from so now it, because like. this this missing portion is restored so well it makes me wonder if um if when Joseph Smith first got it, it was there and he kind of remembered what it looked like. Mm. Um, but it's also possible that he just uh, through inspiration uh, gives them an idea of how to restore it. I, I do really don't know what to, uh, what to think there. I, I can't tell which is the case. That's a good memory to be able to pull this out right here. That's yeah. That's quite a bit of detail. All right. Yeah, it let's is. um, let me go through some of the rest of these ones that are, that are um, here in Wikipedia. So there's that one. This is another one. Yeah, they all kind of have the four-headed. Uh huh. This right oh, here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the four-headed one mean? So that's a great question. Typically, uh, four or two-headed. It just means that you have different. Kind, so this is normally that's in the center. That's uh, figure one in in facsimile one, where mm -hmm. it's drawn as two-headed, and most of them is four-headed. Uh, most of it's similar ones. Mm -hmm. um, but in most of them, it also has uh, more baboons worshiping and only two. So it, two headed may be correct uh, in this one. I, we just really can't tell. But um, it's going to be associated with the moon, but it's not going to be just a moon. So in Egyptian religious thought, you can have different beings that kind of merge. They become one with each other. Uh, and so as an example, there's a God that is Ra and there's a God that is a moon. But you also have Amun-Ra. That's mm -hmm. these two beings uh, that, that, that this come together. new bean is really the characteristic of both beings, right? And so this that's a kind of a way of signifying both that they can see lots of different directions and stuff, but also that those beings have come together. So there's some interesting gospel insights that we can maybe try and draw from that later. But now um, in the Egyptian, uh, in the Egyptian, does the foreheads also represent the directions like uh, the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west? It could be. I mean, we don't have really good evidence for that no, one way wondering. or the other. Um, well, we do I have some wouldn't... evidence for cardinal directions that we can talk about in a minute, but we don't have any evidence for that one way or another. So maybe. But the one thing, at least that typically as Egyptologists, we say, and let me. Let me re-emphasize something that we talked about, I think, in both the uh, episode on the facsimiles and the episode on facsimile one, that, um, uh, and, and this one you're showing now, I think, is the closest parallel to, to the uh, one that Joseph Smith had. But anyway, um, that when we, the Egyptologists have been saying for quite a while what they thought, thought some of these figures meant, and when we found one that actually labeled them, we were wrong most of the time. All right. So let's be clear that we may not really understand what's going on here. I think we we're, we're coming to a better understanding all the time. John Gee's done a lot of research. There's another fellow who's just done a book on this. It's really interesting. Um, but we're still we're still trying to figure this out in some ways. So John John Gee's, did you say? John, John Gee, yeah, he's my colleague oh, at Gee. BYU who has done a I lot would of really work like on to... hypocephaly. Okay, excellent. I'd like to hear more about that. But I, I like the, the... Well, let me just finish that thought. That, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, please. So, I'm sorry. Uh, when we say that uh, we think that this means that's these beans coming together, right? A, a unity of beans. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I, I feel fairly confident that that's a good Egyptological conclusion, or in other words, that most Egyptologists would agree with me on that. I don't feel super confident that we really know. I feel I'm okay. in the like 70% range. I feel confident on this, but that's about it. So interesting. Well, I was going to point out the similarities you were talking about. We have um, these, this figure is almost exactly this one here. Yeah. So let's, and, let's say the figure names because remember, we have lots of listening yeah. audience. That's oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure. Is about four, the same, almost exactly the same, which is like a winged creature on a boat. This yeah, a boat. we would call it typically we'd say that's Ray Harakti, that's the sun at the horizon at, at dawn. And the sun uh, is always depicted as traveling on a boat because that was the most consistent form of travel in ancient Egypt. Now, okay, so let me pause there for a second. If you look down at the, at the uh, explanation that Joseph Smith puts in there, um, you say that's Ray Harati. 
Yeah, that's the name right? of the god, right? So then we okay. have to ask, what's the, what does it symbolize there? But that would be the name of the god uh, typically. And again, remember that I, I'm saying that's what that typically is. But we've said that about a number of characters in Hypocephali. And then when we found the Egyptians labeling them, that's not what we thought it was, right? So, but, but look uh, what so he I'm says here. with a grain of salt. Right. But look, Joseph Smith, interesting. Um, he says you know, Hebrew word, it's answer to the Hebrew word. But this is a Hebrew word, yeah, Rocky Young, yeah, Rocky Young, signifying the expanse, firmament, or heavens. Well, mm -hmm. you said that this this is a is the sun on the horizon, right? Well, which interestingly is thought of guesser, as, as right? the recreation, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's the creation. That's the beginning of the creation of the firmament and the heaven, is is what the sun on the horizon is. So it actually corresponds really well there. So as you were saying, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but. No, you're no, no. Talking, he's a good guy. guesser, right? Uh, or, or something. But he's either inspired or he's a, a really, really good guesser to become a. He doesn't come up with the exact thing that we say right now, but this is so parallel that somebody else could say, you know, another same professor that was studying could say the same thing. So anyway, I just yeah. pointing that out that that's pretty interesting. That he yeah, symbolically the they work very well. Right, and then also we noted in this one here we have uh, other figures in the same upper right-hand corner of what we would call uh, figure three. And this one here is, is separate. Um, they have yeah, two, get two different there. boats, but Can it's still the, the celestial bark, we would call it, or the, the journey of the sun. Um, okay. And one of them you have uh, Hepri, and that's again, kind of this idea of the sun becoming in the upper one, it looks like a bobbird. And this I'd have here. to look, I'm just looking at that and making this up on the fly. Uh, well, I'm not making it up. I'm, I'm translating and interpreting. So it's not translated. I'm interpreting the symbols on the fly right. here. Um, but that's my initial reaction. But again, I'm not sure that they would have interpreted these the same way since we find that we're often wrong in that. I think you also <laughs> find um, figure two is very, very similar. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would two. guess that they were exactly the same and that Reuben had like that's just the best he could carve that kind of face. Uh, figure two is the one uh, in the upper center between the two, what you might call boats or barks, yeah. uh, upper two. And it's very similar to this one here. Um, is a, there's a two-headed figure here that, looking to the right and to the left, both. Yeah, yeah so they're and both very similar. Yeah. Yeah, they both have the same staff um, and the little uh, branches coming off the shoulders and they're wearing a kilt and so on. And then the part that's upside down is also very interesting. This is um, yeah. an, an, a, an ox, but they don't call it an ox. Uh, no. Um, so I, that's, that's a cow. Most is it a likely. Cow? Yeah. Most likely okay. that represents the, the uh, sky most likely. Um, but maybe not. Uh, and I so, thought it was an ox cause they had the great big horns, but what's uh, what's up with these giant things? Uh, so is that's horns or a, headdress it's actually or a, it's a headdress. Yeah. That's okay. It's a fancy cow. A kind of a crown. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you and see then, this figure here. Well, be, oh, go ahead. Can, yeah, go, go, go ahead. We can do that one. We can do some others in a minute. Yeah. This one here in the, uh, if you're listening along, it would be right above where, well, it, it's figure five, just to the right of the number five on this other one I'm looking at that's, um, I should probably name it. I have to find out what the name of it is, but it's on uh, Wikipedia. That figure is almost exactly the same as this one here. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a figure the, holding some sort of a fork or a fan or a, yeah, a branch or a lotus or something like that. Okay, sure. It's kind of advanced stick figures, but okay. Yeah. But anyway, this is very similar to the one that Joe Smith had, which I thought was interesting that the figures are, um, yeah. are interesting. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, if you look, um, so from our viewpoint to the left of the cow on both of these, mm -hmm. um, figure get, five yeah figure five would be five, down, down below so that mm -hmm. from our viewpoint it's the left of the cow but the way the hypocephalus is designed to work it's it's all about a journey right uh like the mm -hmm. sun's journey and you know the sun goes around the oh, earth from the oh, egyptian yeah. viewpoint it encircles the earth so uh as just like with our globe if you go around it then from like you're in my perspective people in india are upside down right mm -hmm. uh if we're looking at the globe and from their perspective we're upside down so that's why you see this bottom register there uh that it's upside down because by that point you've traveled around and you're upside down um, right but it's also been suggested fairly recently 
um, by uh, this uh, fellow whose name I've forgotten, but he's just done this book on the hypocephalus a few years ago, that it's not just that you go upside down, but you, you flip it so that you, for example, you would start in the center and you would go kind of clockwise. So go out from figure one to uh, figure uh Two is that's the Ray Harakti is two, right? I'm having a hard time seeing two's, the numbers. Two's here. right here, right in the middle. So you'd go to figure four and then uh, kind of go around uh, clockwise. So uh, the journey would go one, four, two, three. Uh, but just basically, you can start from the center and go up to the left, upper left hand corner and then go clockwise. Okay. But as you get to this down part, you flip around so that you uh -huh, right, you'd you rotate go, that all the way up to now yeah yeah but not just upside down but you'd start um so that you're over by those four figures that is from for us to the left of the cow um that's where you should go again um and uh that that makes sense uh because the the idea is if this is and i don't know for sure that it is egyptologically i don't know that we're 100 sure but i think it's depicting the journey of the sun that's my opinion and in Egypt, Egyptian thought, when the sun went down at night, it mm -hmm. died and it was swallowed by the, the sky and the sun's nighttime journey was going through the sky's body. And then it came out the birth canal in the morning, which was the horizon and is reborn. All right. Okay. Now the sky is sometimes depicted as a woman, but sometimes as a cow. And so that would make sense then if the journey of the sun starts over here at the cow's mouth and then comes out at the birth canal. Right. Right. Um, so that's why you'd kind of flip upside down and to the other side. Um, uh, but um, if we look at these four figures, so I, well, that's why I keep saying from our viewpoint, it's to the left. But if we were to flip it up the way it would kind of supposed to be when you're on the bottom, then it would be to the up. right. Yeah, I don't uh, know if I can do it here, but if you're watching along, so you start here in the middle at one, there's this one there. Yeah. And then from here, you would go up to here to four. Right. And then start reading in here. a clockwise motion. Right. This but way. now you flip over to where the, the four figures are, which is figure so six, they, I think. Yeah, fi uh, figure five right here. Oh, no, figure six. Right figure here. six. Yeah. So, figure the, six now, if you're... so the journey goes there and then it goes yeah. from the right to there and back home. So which way do you read this one? Do you read it going this direction? No, going the from other left direction. To right. No, so the you other from going here. Okay. Yeah. And then so see it's swallowed by the cow, travels through its body, is born at night. Okay. Uh that's the sky. And then it, it can come back to figure one and start the process all over again. Okay. So, so then you would go back around, read this way, and then come back around and you come back to here again. Yeah. Back to the middle. Okay. I don't know. Something if like you, that. Uh, if you can follow along or if you get on the video, you can watch this part. And I've just scribbled all over. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scribbling all over here, but uh, anyway, that's that's. I've always wondered about that. And, and now you can maybe correct me if um, if I'm incorrect, but typically speaking, the figures face toward the beginning of the text. So uh, that's well, that's in um, in hieroglyphs and typically in drawings, but not always. So okay, yeah. In fact, maybe let, let me share for just a second. I think I have a yeah, PowerPoint yeah, here, that I'll, might do this for a second. Okay. And then I'm going to uh, try and show one other thing as well. Let me see if I can find the spot on this PowerPoint. Yeah, here's the okay. drawing then of uh, what it would have looked like then if it's broken the way we were talking about. Oh, okay. Um, well, you've got a whole PowerPoint. Why don't we just go through your PowerPoint? Oh, uh, because it's got lots of boring stuff in it. But I think this is the <laughs> one that has uh, what we want. So I think... Uh, I think this is the way the journey goes. We're starting at the center and working up through the left, going clockwise, and then jumping back down to this other way and going through the body of the cow and then back home again. So I think that's okay. the way it goes. But let's talk about these figures right here, which is figure six, I believe. Which Those look very figures. similar to our canopic jars. From that's a, they're the four sons of Horus. That's yeah, four exactly sons of Horus. Right. And, and you saw mm -hmm. on the, uh, the one that you were showing us, and and I'll mm -hmm. just uh, stop but it, sharing for a fine, moment. Yeah. But oh, okay. Um, the ones that you were showing us that had similar ones, only they were seated. All right, but they're still the same four sons of Horus, the, the canopic jars. And, right. and it's we'd be talking about over here in the lower left-hand corner here. That's right. Now it's interesting yeah. because when we talked about those when we were discussing the um, uh, facsimile one, and we said, well, the, those represent different gods, and they must be syncretized with these Canaanite gods in that context. 
But here mm-hmm. they're given to us in a different context, right? This is not the facsimile one context. This is the facsimile two context. Uh, one of the meanings that is very widely agreed upon for uh, about the sons of Horus by Egyptologists is that they represent the four cardinal directions. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting because if you look at what Joseph Smith says, uh, those figures mean is the, the four cardinal directions. I, I think he says the four points of the earth, the four corners of the so, earth, but basically that's... Okay, this would be, if you're looking at home, it's figure six right here, which is just to the left of the upside down cow with the fancy headdress, the fancy cow. Yeah. I'm official. Okay, there you go. Earth in its four quarters, which is yeah. the same thing as saying the four cardinal directions. That's exactly right. So again, Man, he's he, a great guesser. He's, he's just one fine guesser. Um, <laughs> uh, so maybe we could, uh, it might be fun. Uh, I'll, I'll share my screen again, if that's all right. We'll go back and forth. Yeah, sure. And um, let me see if I can find the right place on this PowerPoint where I have this. Uh, and we could just talk about uh, the translation of these. Well, my PowerPoints. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, the translation of the text. All right. Uh, that we have. Oh, that's not the part I want. Dude, dude, we're going to skip past this part. That's boring. All right. So I actually, I'll just read this to you to begin with. Um, this is mm-hmm. from the Apocalypse of Abraham. All right. And it describes Abraham. What is the Apocalypse of Abraham? It's, it's a, a pseudepigraphic work, we call it. So it's an ancient work, not by Abraham, by someone else, but they claim it's by Abraham about Abraham. Okay. Um, and it has Egyptian connections. And, uh, and they say that Abraham sees what is in the heavens and on the earth and in the sea and in the abyss and in the lower depths. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I found an Egyptian spell that included Israelite figures, and it talked about calling on, on someone to give power over the abyss to those above, to those below, and to those under the earth. All right. Now let's translate uh, this portion of text that has uh, nine in it. I can't tell, or I mean, 10 in it. I can't tell what other numbers uh, are there, but I think it's nine. It has eight, eight, nine, 10. It's starting from the bottom. Now, if you're following along at home, oh, yeah. uh, the, the center center figure is one. So to the left that, there's a little block there. It's starting from the bottom. There's four different sections, eight, nine, 10, and 11. Right. And this is um, Michael Rhodes's translation. He translated this before I'd learned uh, Egyptian. And now as I look at it, I, I think it's a good translation. So I'll just use his translation. But it talks about the owner of this hypocephalus being the Lord of heaven and earth of the hereafter and of his great waters. Now, that's interesting. Uh, I, you can see if we look at all three of these things that are all connected with uh, Abraham and Egypt in some way that they match in uh, Abraham or the deceased wanting to have control over the heavens and the earth and the sea and the abyss and the hereafter and so on. Um, it, it, they all match. This is a theme where we can see that the Egyptians associated um, Abraham and Israelite figures with seeing and having control over this. Now, it's interesting because Joseph Smith tells us that these writings have something to do with the temple and they're clearly about creation. Uh, really, that's, yes, that's really what they're about, creation and the hereafter. And that's really, the temple is certainly about creation and the hereafter, isn't it? Yes, that's right. If it says, if Joseph Smith's translation says, figure eight contains writing that cannot be revealed into the world, but is to be had in the temple right. of God. And then figure nine, not, not to be revealed at the present time. Figure 10 also, and figure 11. This is interesting. Also, if the world can find out these numbers, so let it be, amen. So, and we have numbers, but... But here's yeah. the information. We, we have let's, figured out what those mean, and they, they have to do with uh, creation. Right. And, and let's let's also hearken back to what we hearken back. What am I talking about? Anyway, let's talk about or let's mention what we mentioned last time when I was talking about my conversation with Hugh Nibley. And you were talking about this as well. Hugh Nibley and also um, one of the professors at BYU, Doug Bassett, pointed out that a lot of times we have multiple layers of meaning in the same thing. Isaiah wrote this way. He could talk about something that happened before his time using a, a, an ancient king or whatever that referred to his time and also to the present. And so there's many different layers. So if you're saying that this right here says uh, creation of the, um, the sleeping ones from the eternity, from the time of creation, almighty Lord, the heaven of earth hereafter, perhaps there's other parallels in here that you could put in there as well. I mean, they might meet the person who had this might also have, no, they said that, but also mean other things. I can think of uh, other artworks that have an, an overall figure, but also represent other things as well, yeah. right? 
Yeah. So well, I, and I, would I say see even he... with this, the idea that uh, it just the ideas of creation, the ideas mm-hmm. of controlling the abyss or, or uh, the heaven and earth and the hereafter and the great waters, every single one of those has symbols behind it, layers of symbols behind it. And so just by, by dealing with those, you can start uh, peeling back layer after layer of, of symbolism uh, as you can in the temple when you deal with creation or something along those lines, right? There are lots of layers of meaning in all of these. Oh, that's a great point, which is why, um, you know, apostles and prophets have said, go back to the temple and you get more things out of it each time. So they're saying yeah. the same things. They're not changing the words, not changing what's yeah. going on, but they're anyway. So very interesting. I just thought that the, um, that was what Joseph Smith said here um, is, is represented also in what you're talking about uh, in yeah. your PowerPoint there. Well, let's look at some of the other uh, yeah. uh, translations. So that what we call the rim inscription, this inscription that goes around the outside. And mm-hmm. again, there's part of it that was broken off and it doesn't really say anything, but the part that is hieroglyphic that starts uh, here at this flag, kind of a, uh, if we we're calling this a clock, that would be at about one o'clock or maybe 1230, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. You've got this right. flag that's the hieroglyph nature that stands for God. So if you start there and you go around until you're at about... Um, what would that be about five o'clock? Um, so if you're going counterclockwise into the face of the, the, the animals and the birds, right? It's how you read in hieroglyphs and you, you go around until you're at about five o'clock or so. Um, mm-hmm. That is all stuff that says stuff. And then this other stuff that was the part that was broken off that they just filled it in with whatever character they found uh, on the papyri right, to make it look nice. But we can read this part of the inscription that actually says something. And it says, I am the provider in the sun temple in Heliopolis. All right. So Heliopolis is where the uh, temple of Ra is. Ra is the first and, and kind of, uh, well, it depends on how you decide uh, define first in Egyptian history and so on. I'm not going to get into the complicated story of Egyptian religion and the merging together of different cultures and all that kind of stuff. But let's just say first or among the first uh, temples associated with, with uh, the sun God and uh, being a creator. So it's kind of the creator uh, temple par excellence for Egyptians. All right. Okay. Um, so it says, I am the provider in the sun temple in Heliopolis. I am most exalted and very glorious. So you can see this text is designed to make the owner of it exalted. That's what its purpose is. I am a virile bull without equal. That's their way of saying, I will have um, eternal posterity. All right. Oh, okay. I am the mighty God in the sun temple in Heliopolis. So, okay. Being deified. All right. Uh, Exalted, so he's providing for the God that is in the Sun Temple, and then he's exalted and will have uh, seed without end, and then he will also be deified, like the God, the Creator God. May I live forever with that mighty God in Heliopolis. So you see what he's. This is basically saying, I uh, serve the Creator God. I become exalted. I can create for forever, and thus I will be like that God, and I will be with that God forever. That's hmm. that's uh, stuff that, that I think we would agree with. That's now. What does yeah. what does Joseph Smith say this uh, this means? I don't even remember. Does this get a number? I don't think this. Gets uh, the out the outside rim oh, ha- says eighteen. Yeah. yeah, and what he says about it is, uh, well, he says figures 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and twenty one will be given in their own due time of the Lord. Above translations given as far as as we have right uh, to give at the present. All right. But it's also the, he, if we throw the, that in right after the other one, then it gives you the idea that it's associated with the temple. And he keeps saying again and again, all, all sorts of stuff in this one are associated with the temple. And, mm-hmm. and I have to be honest, when I think of the temple, I think of not only creation, but of, of the creator, God, of his desire and, and what he does to help me so that I can be exalted. Uh, and as I am exalted, then I can have eternal increase. I can become godly and I can live with him forever. I really think of that as the, the purpose of the temple. Uh, and so I think this works incredibly well. I think that's right. You know, um, I've said this many times uh, and I, I had it on my mission. And this guy tried to tried to pin me into a corner. And he's like, do you think you can be better than God or be God? And I'm like, well, what is it that that God wants us to do? Isn't it, you know, Hebrews 5 talks about, Though he were son, yet learned he obedience, talking about Jesus, and he becomes the author of eternal salvation. So that's his journey, right? And so what does he right. want? He says, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prayer. So anyway, what does he want the apostles to become? 
like him, be therefore perfect, right? So when you inherit those things, what do you inherit? Is it you get something? Do you get a city, a mountain, a mountain of gold? What is it you get? It's not the material you get. It's the power you get to be like yeah. him. Yeah. His, he, can, he can create, he can destroy. It's not about what you get about material things. Or yeah, material is things. immaterial for a creator. Exactly. You can create. So that's exactly it. You're the creator. You become a power to create. So that doesn't supplant God. It doesn't put you above him. It doesn't replace him. It makes you like him. Just like you want your son or daughter to grow up like you and and have similar abilities that you do to have and to you know reproduce and have families of their own. That's what we're talking about here. So it's there's nothing freaky, weird, and yeah. and uh, and mystical about it. It's you're becoming like your father. Yeah, and and I would put it. I mean, we're still subservient to God, right? We're never claiming. Oh, yeah. Okay, we stop uh, worshiping God. He stops being our God, but we can become uh, Christ-like or or godly in nature. And if you think right. of, uh, I mean, again, we're looking at this inscription here. I, I think the Egyptians thought of it the same way. They're not saying, "Okay, I replace uh, Ra, and Ra's gone, and now it's me." Um, they're saying, "No, I want to be able to be with Ra." having uh, developed characteristics that are like Ra, which allows me to be in his presence and be with him. And uh, yes. I think that's exactly what we would say about the Father and ourselves. I think that fits very well. I'm the most exalted and very glorious. I am Viral Bull, so he has the ability to create or have offspring, right? Yeah. I'm a mighty God, the Son of Heliopolis. May I live forever with that mighty God in Heliopolis. So he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. get better or kick him out. He's like, hey, I get to be like him. Yeah, in fact, uh, that last line is something that I would say, may I live forever with that mighty God, right? And in, in Heliopolis, they're saying in that temple, all right? But mm -hmm. so I'm fine if I live with God forever in the temple, but I don't, I don't care where it is. But may I live forever with that mighty God? I, I have th that, that's my prayer as well, right? Now, they mean raw, I don't, but um, right. Well, I he's mean God. putting a name on it, but yeah. yeah. But he's calling God that, or this particular proprietor is calling God Ra. Yeah. But I think they're aiming toward the same thing. Wherever that diverged from what our feeling of God, I mean, some there's different names for God, but I my own feeling is that they all diverged from somewhere else. Somewhere along the line, they diverged, but they at one time were united in, in yep. well, that's a longer story, but that's what I think. Now, some of the other text on this, we can't really read, uh, again, partially because it was broken off and they just stuck things in. But we can read this, the bottom section. So let's just read that one. Um, this, this is the very bottom, figure 16 and 17. And it says, may this tomb never be desecrated and may this soul and its Lord never be desecrated in the hereafter. Or in other words, may they be holy. That's really what it is. May nothing mm -hmm. happen to make it so that they are not holy for forever and ever and ever. And again, uh, Joseph Smith, I think, associates this with the temple. This is part of the stuff he says. Uh, we can't read it, but uh, uh, don't have right to reveal it at this time. But um, but he associates it with the temple. And uh, again, I think that the temple really is about us becoming the kind of beings that are holy and never being unholy or profane or desecrated or however you want to say it ever again. And uh, so I, I find that uh, these uh, this drawing and these texts are really interesting. Because again, I would suggest, and we kind of said this before, but maybe uh, let me just run through it quickly and then make uh, a couple of, well, let me put it this way. Uh, the, I am sure that the gospel principle that I'm about to teach is correct. And I think that the interpretation uh, of the hypocephalus Egyptologically is correct. I'm sure about the gospel principle. I think we're right Egyptologically. It's as well as we can do right now from given our academic abilities and the knowledge that, that we have available to us. Um, and is, are the two supposed to correlate? Is that what Joseph Smith was thinking? I don't know, but I think they do correlate well. And so I think that, that it helps us learn some pretty cool lessons. So let me just kind of uh, walk through this. Uh, the, first of all, the sun, the, the Egyptian point of view quickly, and then I'm going to kind of relate it to a gospel point of view, if that's all right. So if we start here yeah. at uh, figure one, 
This is uh, Amun-Ra. So that's in the center of the hypocephalus. And uh, the sun has to start here, but it has to go on its journey. So if we go up to the top left, that's the sun at the horizon. That's figure four. This represents the sun as it begins its journey. Uh, it, the, and it, it continues on its journey until it's in its strength and it's doing well in its journey. But then the nighttime sun happens, death happens. And so we have to overcome death. So he comes down to the bottom, gathered in from all four quarters of the earth, and uh, goes through this kind of rebirth journey uh, through the body of the, the cow. We get it sitting here on a throne with um, it being given the eye of Horus, which has kind of the uh, connotations and symbolism of rebirth. Uh, and then that's figure seven, right? That's figure, figure seven, seven is the figure of rebirth. Okay. That's right. And then it can return. Uh, and start the journey over. But as, as it does so, it comes to this central figure again, which remember is two or four headed, which I think kind of signifies Ra returning to be with Amun and they become one Amun Ra and so on. But mm -hmm. we have the merging together of, of beings uh, as they become one. And then the journey happens all over again, right? So that's best interpretation Egyptologically of what's being depicted there. Um, and, and it all has to do with rebirth and overcoming death, which is exactly what you would expect if this is being included with a burial, right? That, that makes mm, sense. Okay. So right. now let's talk about the journey that we are all on. We all started in God's presence. We were with God, all of us, but we left his presence so that we could become higher, holier beings that could regain his presence in his state, never having to leave again. That's, that's a gospel truth. Now, it matches really yeah. well with all these inscriptions and everything we were just talking about, but that's the gospel in its nutshell, right? That's, that's the most basic description of the gospel I can give you. We were with God. We left God's presence. We were trying to get back to his presence in a higher, holier state so we can be one with him and never have to leave again. I, I think that's a succinct okay. summary of the gospel. So okay. we yeah. leave his presence. We come to earth. Uh, we have to gain power and knowledge to be able to be successful in our journey. If you don't know how to get where you're going, doesn't matter whether you have the ability to get there, you, you're going to get in the wrong place. But if you have the ability to move, but you don't know how to get there, right? I mean, none of this, you have to have both power and knowledge, right? And we grew up on Schoolhouse Rocks. So we know knowledge is power, but, or, uh, but anyway, um, we're going to, we're going to, so we have kind of depicted here that we leave God's presence and we continue and we grow more and more like him. Of course, Christ is the one that makes all of this possible, but then we die. doesn't matter where you so are. Figure everyone two is going to die. Figure two is really representing life on earth kind of thing. Is that? Yeah, this saying? is us in our, our kind of strength and in our power uh, in our prime as it were. Right. Okay. Figure four is us as we begin the, the mortal journey. Figure two is us as we're kind of going along, doing well in the mortal journey, figure three signifies that we're continuing to move in that middle, uh, that mortal journey, but we're approaching death and then we die. And that brings us down to figure six, where everyone dies, right? The four quarters of the earth, there's no one who's escaping death. Everyone, wherever you are, you're going to die. But then we go on this journey again. Remember, the sun is, goes through the night sky and is born again. So we, we have to be born again. I find it really interesting because what that brings us to is figure seven. And Abraham tells us that figure seven is, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, you read it and tell me if I'm too off, but that it's, it's Abraham receiving uh, key words as revealed through the Holy Ghost, something along those lines. And that's, uh, which, uh, which figure are you talking about right now? That's figure seven. Uh, figure fact, seven, me, figure seven according to this, says, represents God sitting us on revealing through the heavens grand key words of the priesthood as also the sign of the Holy Ghost unto Abraham in the form of a dove. Right. Right. Now, so with all of that in mind, let me let me read this to you. Um, Brigham Young, if we're going to talk about having power, and I've, I've circled on the screen just some emblems of power, some symbols of power, but Brigham Young says the purpose of the endowment is to enable you to walk back to the presence of the Father, passing the angels who stand as sentinels, being enabled to give them the key words. Right. Now, we were just reading that uh, Joseph Smith says that we've got this figure here that's trying to give us key words, right? So I have to ask mm -hmm. myself, uh, what, what, uh, so that's figure seven there. What could these key words symbolize, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know, in the scriptures, a lot of times we can't tell if something is literal or symbolic. It's always okay. symbolic. It may be literal, yeah. but it is always, always symbolic, and symbolic is the important part. So I honestly don't know if we literally have to give someone key words to get back into heaven. 
What I do know is that that there's some symbolism there. So what could they symbolize? I don't know all of the symbols they could be, but when I think about words, words convey knowledge. That's the purpose of words, right? Is to convey knowledge. Right. So I right. would guess that they convey key words mean key knowledge. And another scriptural way of saying that is light and truth. Right. The, the idea okay, is yeah. that we I'll have to that. receive light and truth in order to be successful in our journey to be with God again. And what is the only way to receive light and truth? Well, through the Holy Ghost. Right? We talked about this a little bit and as we talked about fixingly one and three as well. Uh, the only way to receive light and truth is through the Holy Ghost. You can hear President Nelson teach something that is absolutely true. But if he's not teaching it with the Holy Ghost, or even if he is, which I'm going to assume he does, if you're not receiving it with the Holy Ghost, you didn't receive it in perfection, so you didn't receive light and truth. Uh, you only can be successful in this if you receive light and truth. Now, Abraham chapter 3 also talks about intelligence and receiving intelligence in order to be with God again and so on and receive glory forever and ever. But we know that one of the definitions of intelligence is light and truth. Um, and I, I believe actually Abraham chapter three tells the same story textually that facsimile two tells pictorially, uh, that, that they both depict the same narrative, which is uh, we need to, we're us trying to join God and, and become more like God. So both of them have this emphasis on the need to receive light and truth from the Holy Ghost in order to return and be with God again. Now, that's, that's interesting if this does imply, if keywords does imply receiving light and truth or knowledge, because Joseph Smith says this, um, a man is saved no faster than he gets knowledge, for if he does not get knowledge, he will be brought into captivity by some evil power in the other world, as evil spirits will have hmm. more knowledge and consequently more power than men, many men who are on the earth. Hence, it needs revelation to assist us and give us knowledge of the things of God. Right, so again, you have to have this revelation through the Holy Ghost or these keywords, and that's the last, the, probably the first and the last thing that's necessary to finally be able to return. Uh, uh, oh, we've got all this stuff. I don't want to. Uh, or anyway, to, to return <laughs> and be with, um, be with God again. And note that then we have this depiction when we get back to Figure One. It's this depiction of two merged gods or two merged beings, right? Which really reminds mm -hmm. me, in some ways, of the intercessory prayer right? That these may be one as we are one, that we may all be one together. That's what we want in the hereafter. And that's what this uh -huh. depicts is us becoming one. And so uh, whether that's what Joseph Smith or the ancient Egyptians intended for us to get from this drawing or not, I don't know. But I do know that that is gospel truth, that we leave God's presence. He, he and his son through priesthood and prophets and all sorts of other things give us the power that we need give us the knowledge that we need that even though we mess up and even though we die, um, we can be born again and become one with God, never to leave his presence again because of God's plan and his covenant and his son, Jesus Christ. And of that, I testify. I believe that. Uh, a couple of slides back, mm -hmm. uh, you had some, some of the symbols circles. I don't want to, I don't want I, mean, I don't want to, to brush over what you're testing, what you're testifying. No, to no, you. but let's so, explore some more. Yeah, no, I really appreciate what you said. I think that's, that's a, a true principle. And if we could stop right here, um, that would be a great place to stop. But we want to continue on, but I just want people at home who are listening or watching this to rewind a couple of seconds and listen to what you just said. That's important stuff that you just said there. So, okay. But yeah, back here, these symbols that, that are here in figure one, just to the left of the number one, then mm -hmm. in figure two in the upper right-hand corner there, and then in figure three uh, mm -hmm. on that bark, uh, on the right hand of that bark. Do, can you, do you know Egyptologically, can you tell what those symbols are? Yeah, they're all scepters. Um, they're, okay. they're all scepters that they're holding, which is a symbol of power, right? And in fact, mm -hmm. the one that figure three is holding is called the wasp scepter. It's actually a hieroglyph as well. And that's the great thing about Egyptian artists that they can, they can include writing because the writing is art. So, mm -hmm. and that is, that word means power. So, uh, I mean, these, this is about receiving power. Then you have down at the bottom with figure seven, you have, it's interesting. You have what looks kind of like an Anubis figure, a stick Anubis figure, we could say, holding up stick Anubis hands <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, yeah. 
in in the symbol of worship. That's so uh, when you hold your arms up like the way he's holding it, that's the hieroglyph for worship. Um, and uh, but it's also the hieroglyph for like your soul. And uh, I mean, there's some wordplay going on there, I think. But um, but so all of this has to do with receiving power and also the, the giving of the uh, eye of Horus that we see going on there. That's also symbolic of, of receiving healing, but also receiving power. The eye of Horus both symbolizes you being made whole, but also having the power to destroy things and, and to do other things and so on. So it's a symbol of receiving power. So this, this whole uh, drawing is full of symbols of receiving power, which is not surprising because that's part of what, what we need to do to be successful in our journey. In fact, we talk about the endowment that that means we're being endowed with power. That's the original scriptural phrase about it, right? That God wants to endow his people with power uh, in in the temple where we receive the power that we need to continue on our journey to be with God. Now, of course, the way that power is possible is through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. That's what creates the power that enables us to continue in this journey. Well, that's interesting. I started thinking about your scepters there, and I started thinking in in figure seven, he's got kind of a, you're, you're pointing out some keywords there, and Joseph Smith says, represents God's seeing us on revealing the heavens and the grand keywords of the priesthood, also the sign of the Holy Ghost unto Abraham in the form of a dove. Mm-hmm. Now, I started thinking about the scepter thing you talked about. It just now reminded me of Doctrine Covenant section 121 at the very end verse 45 46 where it says and then the holy ghost shall become thy constant companion mm-hmm. a scepter of righteousness and unchanging an unchanging scepter of righteousness so i just thought these scepters and how the scepters can represent the holy ghost or different things yeah. i mean i don't know if it's exactly what they're saying and i'm not trying to read it necessarily that way but the words that you're talking about are interchangeable with power with the keywords with with right. um, with uh, the Holy Ghost. I mean, I see through Joseph Smith, uh, through his his explanation of what these are, I see the same symbols kind of translating through. And someone can say, "Ah, oh, you're trying to strain that," and what? Uh, maybe, maybe not. And maybe there's layers. And again, maybe we don't know some things. Um, but I don't find this. The people say, "Oh, it's way different than what we interpret it as." I, I don't think that it is. I don't think it's all different. No, it's, so it's that's really the same story. It's the same story. And I think you're right. I mean, I made it as kind of a joke when I said we watch Schoolhouse Rock and we know that knowledge is power, but, it, but it's not really a joke. You're right that knowledge, power, light and truth, glory and intelligence are equated in a whole bunch of ways frequently in the scriptures. Uh, and I think that they're probably in some ways all describing something that is a little bit beyond our ability to fully grasp. And so each of these words gives us a different facet or aspect of that thing. Um, but the Holy Ghost, so let, let's be clear, and we, we talked about this, uh, I can't remember which episode, but when we talked about God establishing a covenant even before the world was created between the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, and uh, the, we sometimes forget the key element all three of those beings play, but we can kind of see it here. that the, It's the Father's plan, it's the Father's covenant, it's the Father's power that is given to the, the Holy Ghost and to the Son. But then the son using it, that's how the son has the power to lay his life down and take it back up. He's very clear about that. It's how he has the power to suffer for our sins and not give up and not be crushed by that beyond the point of survival. All of that is power that was given to him by the father. The Holy Ghost power is also given to him by the father, but the son and the Holy Ghost both have to play their roles. If either one of them doesn't play their roles, then this doesn't work. The son, the, the atoning sacrifice of the son is carried into our hearts and our natures by the Holy Ghost, which is the sanctifier, but it's the sanctifier because it can bring the atoning power of Christ into our very souls. Uh, it's the, the Holy Ghost is the one who gives us the ability to understand all this in perfectness or in light and truth uh, or in glory or however you want to say that. But the Holy Ghost is the one that makes it possible. So the Holy Ghost and the Son working together using the Father's power and the Father's plan enable us to return to be with the father and to be like him and to be one with him, never having to leave again. That's a a beautiful unified plan that I think is demonstrated in, in the hypocephalus, but in throughout all of scripture and in the temple, they all are different ways of depicting the journey that we're on. 
I think that's perfect. That's well said. And uh, yeah, that's it, it, the symbolism is beautiful through this, through the way the temple works. And, and I think that, uh, and to add on what I was saying before, I just looked up uh, section 121 and we talked about the priesthood here. And yeah. the, la the latter part of section 121 is about how to use the priesthood. You have to be, you have to be using it correctly. It's not a power of coercion. It's not a power of, of pressuring people. It is uh, to be used by um, no power influence can or ought be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long suffering, by gentleness and meekness and by love and faith. And then and, if you and drop maybe down, I'm going to interrupt if it's all right, because yeah, I, no, I please, please. some of our audience may say, okay, priesthood. Okay. This is about men. It's not about women. Absolutely no, no, incorrect. No, no. So no, families that are established by the priesthood as a covenant uh, families, then that means that the father and the mother have their power as father and mother, both by virtue of being father and mother, but also by virtue of the priesthood. Any calling right. you receive in the church, you're set apart by the priesthood and you wield priesthood power because, and, and President Nelson and President Oaks have been very clear in teaching this recently, you wield priesthood power in that. So the Relief Society president has right. priesthood power. She's been set apart yes. and given power. The, the, you know, Elder Oaks has a talk called "By What Other Power," where he, he goes through this really well. And President uh, Nelson talked about it in a session not long ago. But they are all using priesthood power, uh, primary whatever it is. Uh, this all of these uh, apply to all of us as parents or any role we have in the church. It applies to anyone who has been set apart by the the priesthood or who has made a covenant by the power of the priesthood. So it applies to both men and women. So let's go back to what right. you're saying, but I just want to make sure everyone's no, 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 tuning into just... this instead of someone tuning out. No, 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 exactly. And I was, I was going to bring that up as well. And I'm glad oh, you I'm sorry. In, that, in that spot. No, 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 you didn't. No, no, don't be sorry. You, you brought up the appropriate point, which when we say priesthood, we don't mean men. We mean the power of God, which right. applies to everybody. Right. And women hold, uh, um, positions in the temple as well they exercise yep. priesthood power there in the temple um i won't go into all that but this is shared this is not the priesthood does not mean men it's the power of right. god which applies to all of his children right and so the last verse in in section 121 in 46 it says the holy ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth and thy dominion shall be an everlasting one and without compulsory means that shall flow into thee forever and ever. And doesn't that fit with what we're talking about here? These scepters that they have are scepters of power. And could they not also refer to the Holy Ghost or using the power of God through the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. And I, and I think yeah. that when we talk about being in the with that mighty God and like that mighty God, it, that, that's more beautifully described in that verse than anywhere else where you have this dominion that flows to you without compulsory means forever and ever. Right. This is not a power... When we say power, it's not a power of force. It's a power of inviting. Like right. my my uh, mission president, George Durant, used to say, like, we're we're not going out there to club people. We're out there to invite them. The scriptures are not a club. They're, they're a loaf of bread. You're inviting people to share in this bread with you. It's not yeah. going to go out there and bash with people. That's right. And, and I think it's saying because of the nature of the kind of being we've become, which is a godly being, mm -hmm. then light and truth flows to us yes we don't have to keep going and working for it and we we're past the point where we need help to get it we've finally become the kind of beings so right now we need the holy ghost to receive light and truth at some point the atoning sacrifice of christ will be carried into our natures by the holy ghost so fully that we receive the fullness of light and truth and our natures are changed so much that we now are the kinds of beings that light and truth flows to without uh, any other necessary means. That's perfect. I like it. And I like that. I'm, I'm so glad you, uh, you went through the hypocephalus and the journey that it's supposed to be. Um, and, and how that, that parallels exactly with what we were talking about, living with the mighty God in, in, uh, in what well, we would call it the social kingdom, but he calls it uh, the owner of the scroll calls it, Heliopolis. Yeah. Heliopolis. Heliopolis. Okay. Yeah. Which well, that's perfect. Well, thanks, Carrie. Yeah. I've been waiting for a long time to ask you some of these things. I knew some of the things, I'd researched some of the things, but I've been waiting for a long time. So I was discovering things in this uh, in this um, discussion along with everybody else, too. So I was putting my knowledge with what I'd heard before. And so I'm glad you brought some things out. That's fantastic. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? 
No, I'm just, uh, again, I'm not positive that Egyptologically we understand these things perfectly, but I am mm -hmm. positive that God wants us to be with them again and has made it possible. I believe that the, the, the principles in the scriptures are clear. That's what we're here for is to, to be our best selves and to live with our heavenly father. again. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, Hey, thanks everybody for joining us. And uh, if you um, would please share this with other people, if you would like and subscribe and all the things we talk about, we'll try to put some things in the, in the descriptions below. If, if uh, there were any people that weren't like your, your, um, your friend that mentioned you know, John Gee, yeah. If you put, I'd love to link his thing, uh, his uh, information in the in the description below. You have a book coming out next month. No, it's actually out uh, now. about something. Yeah. Oh, it's out now. Let, let's talk about the book of Abraham. Is out now. So why don't I have that in my hands right this minute? Well, that's a good question. You big. <laughs> Can I go on Amazon right now and buy? It? Uh, Amazon has it. They still think it's pre-order, but Deseret Book has it as an order. You can get it right away from Deseret Book. So okay, but will actually be in the bookstores soon? No, no, oh, yeah, it's in, it's, in, it's in a lot of bookstores and should be in all of them really soon. But you can go to DeseretBook.com and get it right now. And it's called Let's Talk About the Book of Abraham? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, Deseret go. Book has a series that's called the Let's Talk About series. And uh, this is the one on the Book of Abraham. Oh, so it's called okay. Let's Talk About well, the Book of Abraham. Link that down below. And then, uh, and again, of course, put your... Uh, your comments in, in the in the boxes below and, and try to let's let's have a dialogue here and see if we can answer some of those questions and and um, maybe we'll talk about some of the things you want to talk about next time sounds good <laughs> all right hey thanks very much carrie thank you lamar happy new year yep <laughs>